Well, good morning, Salem Chapel. So good to have you with us today. Uh, we are back in our series in Psalm 27 entitled Heart of a Lion. But before we jump into this last verse, verse 14 in Psalm 27, I want to remind you that we will have our first in-person event on Wednesday, June 17th at 6.30 p.m. It's our worship and prayer night. And I hope that you will make it a point uh, to come to that. If you can, uh, you'll need to go to our website, salemchapel.org to reserve your seat when you go to that website and you do that. In fact, I invite you to do that right now. Just pull out a tablet, put another tab on the computer that you may be watching this and go to our website right now and do that if that's something that you wanna be a part of. And you will see one you do that, that you'll reserve your seat, but you'll also be also be able to see how we are social distancing in this auditorium as well to uh, reopen safely and responsibly. So I encourage you to do that. And then if you can't make that night on June 17th, June 21st is our first uh, Sunday in-person worship services, 9 and 11. You'll also need to reserve your seat for that. So you can go to our homepage, salemchapel.org. You can see that. You'll need to reserve your seat every Sunday. And, and so I encourage you to do that. If for some reason uh, you are not able to attend or you're not comfortable or you're just health-wise, you're not ready to do that, we will still be streaming our services online. So feel free to tune into that as well. If you have any questions about how we're reopening safely and responsibly, we have all of that on our website. I encourage you to look at that. Any questions that you may have, we probably have answered those if you go to our website under our frequently asked questions. Well, I don't know about you, but Psalm 27 will be a psalm that we will probably remember for the rest of our life and it will be associated to COVID-19 if you have been tuning in, uh, which if we're to look at the bright side of things, the silver lining of things, though we wish we would never been in this, uh, that can be used to remind you of Psalm 27. And I hope that the Lord has really shown you some things as we've walked through these 13 verses, the 14th verse this morning, and God has just said some things to you and where you have been, where you are, that has encouraged you, challenged you, maybe convicted you to change something in some way in your life. Uh, but I hope as well that you have memorized this psalm or you're still working on that. Uh, regardless of how many verses you have memorized, committing these verses to memory so that you have ammunition, so that when you need to wage war against those fears and those doubts and those lies, that, in your, that are in your mind, you have something to go to battle with. And so I've been working on memorizing that as well. I've even messed up a couple of times, which shows you that I'm human just like you. So I'm going to start in verse one as we end our series and go all the way through verse 13. Then we're going to read verse 14 and walk through this last verse together today. Verse one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war 
rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above mine enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face far from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. For you have been mine help. Cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Give me not over to the will of mine adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. But I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now we come to verse 14. Wait on the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We gave a definition for what we mean for heart of a lion. That's really what we've entitled this series, answering this question. How do we live courageously in a chaotic world? And so you may be turning, tuning in for the very first time. So let me define this for you. And for those of us who have been with us every week or many of the weeks that we've been walking through this Psalm, hopefully this definition is very familiar to you. We defined it this way, that a heart of a lion lives with a courageous confidence in the character and competency of who the Lord is. Character of the Lord, who the Lord has described himself to be, competency of the Lord, what the Lord can do. And so here's the title of the message. If you're taking notes, it's this, the act of waiting, the act of waiting. Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? The guys that are on the other side of this camera running the sound are probably wondering if I messed up or not. But how awkward is it when you just sit and watch me do nothing? It's awkward, isn't it? Because I think oftentimes we think of waiting as doing nothing, just sitting there buying our time, and we hate it. Can we be honest? Uh, I'm not a fan of waiting, and I'm pretty sure you're not a fan of waiting. We don't live in a society that likes to wait. We have everything instant at our fingertips. I think one of the most frustrating things probably for many of us during this COVID-19 uh, season that we have been in and we're still in, in many ways, is we've had to do a lot of waiting. And what I don't want us to walk away with today is that waiting means inactivity. No, waiting is an action. And here's the idea that I want you to get today as we deal with just this one verse, but such an amazing verse as we close out this psalm. It's this, that a heart of a lion has learned, has learned 
what it means to wait for the Lord. When we see in verse 14, David says it twice. He uses that word wait. It literally means this, an eager and patient anticipation of the Lord. And it's not an anticipation, a pessimistic anticipation that I'm just waiting for the floor to drop underneath me. I am anticipating what is the next thing that's going to go wrong. It's not that type of anticipation, but it's an anticipation. It's a hopeful anticipation for how God will show himself faithful. So when David says, wait for the Lord, it is not, well, Lord, I'm just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. It's a hopeful expectation that the Lord, I, Lord, I know that you are going to show yourself faithful. Lord, I know that you're going to remind me once again of your character and competency in all things. Let me say this, write this down. If you're taking notes, waiting is not a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. It is the process by which God uses to prepare you for what he desires for your future. Now, this isn't on your screen, so let me say that again. Waiting is not wasted time. It is the process by which God uses to prepare you for what he desires for your future. And when you think of waiting in that way, you don't see it as inactivity. You actually see it as activity, as something that has purpose. But just to be clear, let me identify for you what waiting is not. Let me just say that first of all, before we talk about what it means according to this verse in verse 14. Waiting does not mean disobedience. Because some of you right now, you know exactly what God's word is saying to you and how to deal with a situation that you are in right now. And waiting does not mean disobedience. I don't know about you, but my parents who raised me, and I've actually carried that on to my kids, where I would say delayed obedience is disobedience. Some of you have heard that. Some of your kids that are watching are like, yes, oh my goodness, the prayer household is just like mine. Waiting does not mean disobedience. So when we're talking about waiting this morning, we're not talking about disobeying what you know clearly the Lord has said in his word that you need to do. Waiting's not disobedience. Waiting does not mean laziness. Waiting doesn't involve procrastination. Yeah, I know I need to do that. Yeah, I know God's word says that, but I'm just going to put it off. I'm going to continue to live the way that I want to live. And and yeah, I know I need to get in my Bible. Yeah, I know I need to develop a quiet time with the Lord. Yeah, I know that I need to take my needs and pray to the Lord and develop that. Yeah, I'm going to do that later. No, no, no. Waiting does not mean laziness. Waiting does not mean skepticism. Doesn't mean skepticism. Yeah, God hasn't worked and I don't think he's going to work and he hasn't worked out the way that I've wanted him to work and this or this or this or this. Well, that goes against the definition, the biblical definition of this word for wait. What do we say? It's an eager, it's a patient, it's a hopeful anticipation. Waiting does not mean skepticism. So here's what I want to do this morning is I want to give you what waiting on the Lord means. And it means three things according to this verse. Here's the first thing that waiting on the Lord means. Waiting on the Lord means I am going to trust in the Lord. David starts off this verse saying, wait for the Lord. So let me ask you this. 
What's David saying he waits for? Like, what is he saying he's waiting for? Now, if I'm David and I'm running for my life from King Saul who wants to kill me because he's jealous that I'm going to be the next king, which is the context of of what many believe uh, David is living as he writes this psalm, what I would say I'm I'm going to be waiting for is for Saul to change his mind about me. That, Lord, would you illuminate Saul's mind to see that I'm not, I'm not out for his throne. Like, I'm, I'm for Saul. I mean, I hope he changes his mind. That's what I'm waiting for. Or David doesn't wait for an opportunity to take matters in his own hands. If you're looking and reading in 1 Samuel, you see David even has opportunities to take Saul's life. But he knows that Saul is king. He's the Lord's anointed and he's not supposed to take that in his own hands. So David's not waiting for an opportunity to get Saul. No, no, no. David says he waits for the Lord. Now, let me remind us, in your Bible, it should say capital L-O-R-D, just like it has every time that name has been mentioned in Psalm 27. That is the word Yahweh. If you remember, it's the tetragrammaton, right? It's it's the personal name for the Lord. It's when the Lord wants to put his reputation on the line, he uses that name. What does that name convey? It conveys his self-existence, that he never had a beginning, he never had an end, he's self-sustaining, he doesn't need anyone to be God, he's ever-present, he's always there with you, Uh, he is for you. And so this idea of David saying, no, no, I'm going to wait for the Lord, has this idea that I'm going to remind myself during this time of waiting of what is true about the Lord. See, waiting, waiting tests and grows your capacity to believe what you know to be true about the Lord. I wish there was other things besides waiting that did that to the same degree. But what I've found in my life and what's true over and over again in many other people's lives, and you can even testify to this if you've had seasons of waiting, that waiting tests and grows your capacity to believe what you know to be true about the Lord. It gives you opportunity to take what you know and make it a conviction. Remember last time, two weeks ago, when we were in Psalm 27, 13, what did I say? Conviction is made up of knowledge. I need to know who God says he is, but it takes faith, right? I have to, I have to, I have to believe that. I have to exercise faith in that regardless of how much knowledge I have. And then I have to put that knowledge and that faith into action. And when I do that, what's the result? I have a conviction. I have a trust. And I need to trust when I understand who the Lord is, capital L-R-D, self-existent. He's self-sustaining. He's ever present that the Lord doesn't lie. Hear me on that. The Lord doesn't lie. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not man that he should lie. You lie, I lie, I've lied, you've lied. God never lies. His character, who he is, needs to define the circumstances that we're living. And far too often, we allow our circumstances to define God's character. 
And we need to avoid that temptation. No, no, no. When I am in a time of waiting, it is testing me to take what I know, to have faith in that, to put that into action so that I can have a conviction, so that my trust can grow. And I'm here to remind you this morning, God doesn't lie. God doesn't forget. And I've been tempted a lot of times when I've been in seasons of waiting to be tempted to think, man, God, have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten that I'm trying to serve you and I'm, and I'm trying to live my life for you? And, and God, I'm trying to keep short accounts with you that when I sin, I ask forgiveness for it. I repent of it. God, have you forgotten about me? God does not forget. Isaiah 49, 15 says this. I, speaking of the Lord saying this to you and me, I will not forget you. Waiting tests your trust, but I'm here to tell you and remind ourselves of who our Lord is. He doesn't lie. He doesn't forget. The Lord doesn't contradict his word. Have you ever been frustrated when someone says they're going to do something and then they do the exact opposite thing? And before you think of the other person who's done that to you, think about the times that you've done that to someone else. We're all guilty of it. But the Lord never contradicts his word. Psalm 119, 160 says this, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. God's never going to change his mind on the precepts that he's given in his word. God's never going to change his mind that you should put something else above him and your relationship with him. God's never going to change his mind on that because he said that it's always going to be true. And I think oftentimes we get ourselves into trouble that we don't want to wait. So therefore what we say is now I'm going to, I want to do this. So I'm going to I'm going to make myself think that the Lord didn't say what he said clearly in his word. God, the Lord never contradicts his word, but here's what the Lord does. And here's who the Lord is. And he is faithful to his promises. You're in a season of waiting and oh, I'm struggling, man. Did God lie about this? God said this. I'm, 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 I'm reading even in Psalm 27, and this is what he says of himself, but I haven't seen it. Is he lying? Has he forgotten? Is he contradicting what he said? No, no, no. The Lord's faithful in all of his promises. I love 2 Corinthians 1.20, where it says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who is him? That's Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Hear me on this. The number one reason why we can trust the Lord and that he doesn't lie, he doesn't forget, he doesn't contradict his promises, that he is faithful is Jesus Christ and what he is offering you or what you have accepted, his perfect life, death, and resurrection for your sins. So that if you place your trust in him, if you have placed your trust in him, you have a relationship with the Lord forever. You have a home awaiting you in heaven. You have an inheritance that is given to you that can never be taken away. So the number one reason that I can believe today that waiting is not inactivity, but is a way that the Lord is testing me and growing me and my trust for him is Jesus Christ. David says, I wait for the Lord. But when you are placed in a time of waiting, you may be in one right now with some circumstance that you may be living up outside of 
when things are going to open up maybe, or you can open up your business uh, and regulations are lifted, there may be something completely different than the obvious. And you feel like you're in a season of waiting. Here's what I found. It either causes you to run to the Lord or to run away from the Lord. One of those two things, but it's in the uncomfortable place of waiting. And it's uncomfortable. Let's call it what it is. It's uncomfortable. When you're in the uncomfortable place of waiting, that's when you grow your deepest. Because waiting is an activity of your faith. It's an activity of faith before God shows you, shows me what's next in my future. And waiting cannot be rushed. Man, I wish it could. And I wish it could. Waiting cannot be rushed and it cannot be avoided in life. You know why? Because it's in the waiting when lions are made. It's in the waiting when your heart grows and becomes a heart of a lion. But waiting on the Lord, number one, means I'm going to trust in the Lord. Here's the second thing it means. It means I'm going to be strong in the Lord. Because David says, wait on the Lord. And then he says, be strong. Now, I don't know about you, but I can almost imagine as I read this verse that I can hear David saying this to himself in the cave that he's hiding in from Saul. That he's in that cave and he's saying, Lord, I know, I know waiting is a process that you are, that you are putting me through so that I will be prepared for my, for what you have for me for my future. So I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to let my heart take courage. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I can, I can almost hear him saying that in an echoing in the hollow cave that he is in where he's struggling in trust between trusting the Lord and being overcome with fear of the circumstances that may or may not happen. So how can I, how can you wait on the Lord and yet be strong? Because doesn't that sound counterintuitive? Like for me, if you were to ask me, when when you're waiting, would you say you're your strongest? I, I would say, if I hadn't if I don't, if I didn't know what God's word said and applied it in my life in the past, I would say, yeah, that doesn't even make sense. It seems like an oxymoron. It seems counterintuitive. But I love what Isaiah 40, 31 says. So even though this isn't, waiting isn't described in, in, in all its entirety in verse 14, scripture interprets scripture and Isaiah 40, 31 helps us to understand this idea of waiting and the strength that's found in it. Isaiah 40, 31, many of you know this. I actually have a, have a tattoo that, that, that has this verse. Isaiah 40, 31 says, they who wait for the Lord, same word that's in Psalm 27, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word renew literally means to exchange. So it'd be like, this is what I have and I'm exchanging it for something else. It has the idea and it's, it was used to literally give the idea of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. 
So what does he say will be renewed in Isaiah 40, 31? What does the prophet Isaiah say? He says, what will be renewed as I wait on the Lord, as I engage in this process, not run from it, but run to the Lord in this process, what happens is, is I become stronger, which seems counterintuitive to us. And I become stronger because here's what the Lord does. He exchanges my weakness And I take my weakness to the Lord and exchange it for his strength. And as we wait before him, what does the Lord do? God enables us to soar when there's a crisis. Have you ever met someone like that? And you look at their life and you're like, man, there is every reason possible for them to literally be in the fetal position in the corner sucking their thumb. But they seem to have so much joy. Like I'm, I'm feeling like I need to encourage them, but I walk away and I'm the one encouraged because they've learned how to engage in the process of waiting. They've learned how to exchange their weakness for the Lord's strength. It's not, don't, don't be fooled. It's not that they're not weak, but they've understand where they need to look to for strength. And waiting reminds you and it reminds me that we are not strong enough in ourselves to accomplish the things the Lord desires us to accomplish. I am strong enough in myself to have a poor marriage. I am strong enough in myself to not be the dad that my children need me to be. I am strong enough in myself not to be the pastor that I need to be. I am very strong in those things, but I am not strong enough in myself to do the things that the Lord desires me to be accomplish. For me to be the husband that the Lord has called me to be to my wife, to be the father that the Lord has called me to be to my children, to be the pastor that God has called me to be to this church, to be the friend that God has called me to be to the friends that God has given me. We could go on and on and on. But I am not strong enough in myself to be faithful in what the Lord desires me to accomplish in my own strength. And the Lord uses seasons of waiting, going back to that word, to renew, to exchange, to take off old clothes, to put on new clothes. The Lord uses seasons of waiting to remove your wardrobe of self-sufficiency. My wardrobe of self-sufficiency so I can put on the wardrobe of the Lord's strength. And some of you hear me on this, and I say this from a place of love. Some of you are fighting to keep wearing your clothes of self-sufficiency. You don't want to take them off. You are refusing to take them off. And what you don't realize, and probably other people around you do realize, is that your wardrobe is tired, Your wardrobe is fading. Your wardrobe looks uncomfortable. Why? Because the Lord in his grace, the Lord in his grace wants you to renew your strength. He wants you to engage in the process of waiting. He wants you to put on some new clothes. Take off the clothes of self-sufficiency and put on the clothes of the Lord's strength because I promise you they'll fit so much better. But waiting only produces strength when we submit to God's process for us. I can't fight against the process of waiting and experience strength. It's only when I submit 
do I receive strength? You know, in Isaiah 40, 31, it, the, the prophet Isaiah uses this analogy of eagle's wings. And, and I mentioned this before when we were in a series in the fall, which seems like forever ago, right? Uh, a bald eagle can have wings that are almost eight feet long. Like, like when I, when I lived in Southwest Florida, I saw bald eagles for whatever reason, they love that area and, and they're just amazing creatures in their wingspan of being eight feet long. But what's interesting is their wings lay, weigh less than two pounds. And the ability of an eagle to soar is not so much dependent upon the strength of its wings, but by stretching its wings in order to catch the wind's currents underneath those wings in order to soar to tremendous heights. And waiting cannot be rushed. We said that. And the reason why it can't be rushed, because I want to say this again so that we get it, is it because it's a process of God to prepare you for what he has for you in your future. And it's in this time of waiting that God's growing your wings. He's making you strong. Here's the third thing that waiting of the Lord means. It means, lastly, I'm going to be courageous in the Lord. Because isn't that what David says? He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. I'm going to make the most obvious statement of the day for you. You ready for this? It takes courage to wait. It takes tremendous courage. It takes tremendous courage to engage in that process, to not fight against it, but actually submit to that process. Because we feel like, no, 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 I need to do this. I need to do that. Listen, I'm a person of action. I'm an achiever by nature. I know that if you're like me, I, we can identify with how hard it is to wait. But I need to view it as a process that God is using to prepare me for my future. And when I see it like that, I want to engage in it because I don't want to miss his preferred future for my life. But this process is meant to strengthen your heart. This process is meant to grow in you courage. The New King James says this verse, this phrase this way, he shall strengthen your heart. I love that. That it's the Lord who's going to strengthen you. It's the Lord that's going to give you courage. Well, how does your heart take courage? Well, I think your heart takes courage in the process of waiting. Man, you've got to engage in prayer and conversation with the Lord. You have to take what you're feeling and the stress of waiting, the anxiety of waiting, and the uncomfortableness of waiting, you need to take that to the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to grow your relationship with the Lord. I always say this, man, I pray out loud. It's like therapy for me. I pray out loud because I, I want to tell the Lord out loud what I'm feeling is as ugly as it may be because I want to hear that so that the Lord can actually speak to those things. Man, the way that I take courage, the way that my heart is ministered to by the Lord is by engaging him, by talking to him. It's through prayer. John, James 5, 16 says this, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. It also takes humility. It takes tremendous humility for you to take off those old clothes of self-sufficiency and say, I'm going to put on the new clothes of the Lord's strength. It's not in what I can do. It's what he can do through me. That takes humility. First Peter 5, 6. Man, has the Lord taught me this over and over again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It takes obedience. This is not an option for you and me. It's a part of the process that God does to refine us 
to prepare us for what he wants us to accomplish. It takes obedience. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, in all my ways, I'm to acknowledge him, to submit to him, to worship him. And what's the result? He'll make my path straight. It takes expectancy. What did we say the definition of wait was? It is an eager and patient, patient anticipation, hopeful anticipation of the Lord. God, you're going to show yourself faithful. I can't wait no pun intended, to see it. It takes expectancy. Psalm 27, 13, what does David say right before this verse? I believe, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The end of this verse says, wait for the Lord. You know what I love? There's an exclamation point there. Not a period, not a question mark. Wait for the Lord exclamation point. The New King James and maybe some other translations, I didn't look at some other translations, but I have it memorized in the New King James. David says, wait, I say for the Lord. And some of us need to ask ourselves, am I willing to make this statement personal to my circumstances? Not, well, yeah, yeah, I agree. Johnny needs to wait. Yeah, yeah, I agree. My, my wife needs to wait. Yeah, I agree. My husband needs to wait. Yeah, my, 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 my children need to wait. Yeah, my friend needs to wait. My boyfriend, my girlfriend needs to wait. No, no, no. Am I willing to make this statement true of myself if I'm in a season of waiting? If I'm in a season where I don't think the Lord is doing what I would like? Wait a minute. I'm going to say to myself, I say, wait for the Lord. You know, there's a, tree called the Chinese bamboo tree. Some of you are familiar with this tree. I I think this tree is such a great example of what we're talking about this morning from Psalm 27, 14. And like any plant, the growth of a Chinese bamboo tree, some of you have green thumbs, some of you have black thumbs, like don't get them near a plant. But those of you who, who like plants and like doing that sort of thing know that trees require nurturing. They require water, they require require fertile soil, they require sunshine. But what's interesting about the Chinese bamboo tree is in the first year that this tree is planted, you see no visible signs of activity. The whole entire year, you see nothing. You're like, is this tree dead? Like, did I do something wrong? You see no sign of activity. You think, well, the second year I'll see something, but the second year again, you see nothing above the soil, nothing. I mean, if I had planted a tree and I saw nothing after two years, I was like, I'm obviously someone who doesn't need to plant trees again. Well, what about the third year? Yeah, third year, nothing. Fourth year, still nothing. But what's interesting is with all the caring and all the water, If someone knows what they're doing and they know something about this tree, they still continue to do those things. The Chinese bamboo tree in its fifth year grows 80 feet in just six weeks. Like 80 feet in six weeks in the fifth year. And the reason why is because five years ago, before the bamboo tree broke the surface, Those roots had to grow deep and they had to grow wide so that tree would be strong enough to support the height of that tree. And if that tree doesn't have the right foundation, our God who designed that tree, if that tree did not have the right foundation, what good is it how tall it is? 
It's of no good. No good whatsoever. And I say that and give that illustration about that tree because I want you to understand this morning, I want you to hear this as we close out this series that we've been in for such a lengthy amount of time is that God is doing something in you. He's doing something in you in this time of waiting. And what seems like dark and what seems like you can't see any results of God working, God is doing something underneath the surface. He's growing your roots deep and wide because he desires to use you. If you will engage in the waiting that God desires to use you for kingdom purposes in ways that you cannot imagine. So we can't let those times of waiting those times of God's process to rob us from what we know to be certain about our Lord, to what we know to be the character of our Lord, to what we know to be the competency of our Lord, to rob us from that courageous confidence that we need to have in those things so that we can have a heart of a lion. Let us remind ourselves of this, of what is mentioned in the very first verse of this Psalm that we talked about weeks and weeks ago, that the Lord is my light. He provides me direction. The Lord is my salvation. He provides me deliverance and he's done that through Jesus Christ. The Lord is my stronghold. He provides me protection. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we faint not. Man, what I wanna hear, want, want you to hear today as we wrap up this series in this Psalm, is a heart of a lion has learned what it means to wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you today, Lord, for this journey that we have had in these 14 verses over these many weeks. Lord, I thank you for what you have taught me again and again. And Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, not allow me, not allow us to forget what what you have taught us as we've walked through these verses. Lord, that we would have a courageous confidence in the character and the competency of who you are in all, in every circumstance. And God, may we see waiting not as inactivity, but as a process that you use to prepare us for your preferred future for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.